Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Good to be back with y'all. Good to be back with you today. I want to tell you, um, um, if you're a guest this morning, that uh, we have communion here from time to time, and this is one of the mornings. If you walked in and did not grab communion, it's at every one of the doors. If you're watching or listening online, you want to participate. Listen, grab what you've got at your house or wherever you are. You can participate in communion. We'll do that at the end, and I'll tell you that it never bothers me. If you got to get up, see some people get them, grab it, doesn't bother me a bit, all right? So you get it, because at the end of the service, we will be participating together in um, communion. Now, um, if you are a guest today, we have guests every single week. I want to tell you a couple things. One is, um, we, I hope that if you don't have a church home, that you will find a place here at One Hope. Okay, we are not a perfect church, but we are a church that really loves to do life together. We are a church that we are trying to together um, love Jesus more, serve our community, raise up the next generation, all these things. And we'd love for you to be a part of it, be part of our life, and let us be part of yours in 2024. But I'll tell you, if you are a guest this morning, there's something about me that you wouldn't know. And, and that is that Amber and I um, have two kids, okay? We have Ellie, who's a freshman in college, and we have Jackson, who is a senior in high school. All right, and, and 20 second time out on this, y'all. This Thursday, I was telling someone to be in the service, this Thursday, Jackson has senior night in basketball. And you know how I handled Ellie's stuff, right? I'm getting into Jackson's stuff. I mean, I'm six months from being empty nest. I'm losing my mind. But Thursday night, we have senior night, and um, I'm looking forward to it. But um, it's crazy to think about um, this is what is going on in their life and in my life. And, 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 and there are times, if you're a parent, you know that, that memories from your kids growing up they just, they come back in your mind, right? Because as you raise kids, there are memories, there's experiences, there's moments, and they begin to stack up on each other. They stack up on each other. And, and they're, now I'll be honest, Amber in our home, Amber is much better at remembering the details from the past. She's much better at remembering the story. She'd be like, you know when, I'm like, Tell me about it again. Like, it's a weird thing. I don't know. She, like, she'll tell me. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. I remember. She's much better at that. But there are times, there are moments in being a parent that I can't or I won't forget the story. It's that, it has that much impact on me. It, it's moments where it just rises to the top. It sticks out to me. And, and Amber and I were talking about one of those um, this week. We were talking about one of those stories. Now, our kids are no different than if you've had kids. Our kids are no different than your kids. And, and you understand this, right? Like, pastor's kids are no different than other people's kids. We get, we, some, we're a family trying to figure things out just like you are one day at a time, one season. Our kids are no different than your kids. And what do kids do? There are times when our kids had arguments. Our times our kids fight because that's what kids do. And so I was thinking about one of those this week. Remembering back, just hearing the kids on the other side of the house just getting after each other. You know, like they're just getting after each other. Things are said and, and it get, the pitch gets a little higher. You can tell something has gone on. 
Well, we see, and we go engage them, like, what is going on? Like, what is happening right now? And so we begin to hear the story, we begin to hear what this person said, and that person said, and they did this, and she did this, and all the things that come with it, right? Well, we get to the end of, like, collecting the data, and we sit them down. They go, okay, we got to have a talk. We got to have a talk. I get it. Like, we can frustrate each other sometimes. We can, well, this can happen with brothers and sisters, but listen, we're family. We love each other. Like, we shouldn't be saying these things to each other. We shouldn't be doing you know, all the things that parents should, should do. And so we look at the kids and are like, you, you need to apologize. You got to apologize. So one at a time, it's, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? And, and the next one, I'm sorry, and we'll forgive. And there's this moment where I, it's just etched in my brain. And I see that they, they just start, they hug each other. And I swear I had a picture of it, and I was going to show you the picture, and I looked all week, and I totally dropped the ball because I can't find this picture. So I don't know if it's just a picture of my brain or actually on my phone, but I can't find it. But there's this picture of them hugging each other after they go through this. And it's these moments, once again, if you haven't raised kids, you're going to be prepared for it, but you may experience this, that, that these are foundational moments. These are moments I pray plant seeds in our kids' life. They may not remember it, but there are values that you are, you're raising up in them, how you handle when these type of things happen between each other. I'll tell you, I was thinking about that story this week because I'm thinking about our next conversation here on Sunday morning. See, I think we're, we're in the middle of a pretty big conversation here at One Hope, and a conversation that's going to go on for plenty of weeks. And if you've been here every week, this is going to get kind of repetitive. But, but I was thinking about this week, I, I, I don't mind being repetitive. Because I think sometimes when you, when you are, are bringing repetition into our life, those are the things that begin to shape you. Repetition begins to form you. And so I told you every week that we titled this series Anchored because we all need anchors in um, our lives. We need something in our, in our lives that are, that are going to be strong, they're going to be grounding, they're, they're, they're going to need something that's not going to change as, as the world changes. We need to discover and hold on to what do we believe. Find things that when, when life gets tough, when decisions get tough, we know what our default um, values are, our default beliefs are, and they shape the decisions that we make. If we don't do this, if we don't have this specific and frank conversation, I've told you, what happens in life is we begin to drift into all kinds of places. We drift in the sea of chaos. We drift in the sea of confusion. We drift into what my feelings are today. We drift into what my mindset's in and where I am in a specific moment. We drift into a personal desires, and our desires are most of the time pretty broken. And if we don't have anchors, we begin to chase all kinds of things in life. And I'll tell you, this only leads to disaster. It's been proven over and over. 
When we don't anchor ourselves, we are on the road to disasters. And so the anchors we've set so far, really quickly, the first week, and I said this has to be the anchor, is we're anchored to a truth that's bigger than my truth. We're anchoring ourselves to the truth that God has given us, his word. This has to set the pace. It's our first anchor. The second anchor is anchored to the freedom that is found in Jesus. And I'll tell you, I got a lot of comments from that one, a lot of people, questions and whatnot. We have groups called Set Free to Live Free, Set Free Groups, and they are starting in a couple weeks um, here on Sunday morning. If you're interested to take those next steps of what does freedom in Jesus really look like, how does that play out in my life, um, we've got uh, women's groups, we've got men's groups right on Sunday morning. You can find those online or in our, um, our small group um, uh, booklets that you can find at the Welcome Centers. But that was the week two. And then week three, our third anchor, um, was we are anchored to a lifestyle of servanthood. That was last week, that we are called to wash other people's feet the way that Jesus washed feet. And so that's where we've been. Those are our three anchors so far. We move on to number four today. And I'll tell you this week, this week is going to be equal parts simple and equal parts very serious. Equal parts simple in equal parts, very serious. This one in our life is a can't miss. Even in its simplicity, it is a can't miss conversation that has to be had. And it goes back to my beginning story about the kids, but really it goes back to our first anchor. I said a truth beyond our truth, a truth that God has given us. In his, it goes back to that conversation, that God's truth is the anchor for everything in our life. And so I want to I kind of give you some backstory. In the Bible, there are, there's a part of it called the Torah, okay? This is a Hebrew word that you maybe have heard before. It, the Greek word of the New Testament conversation is the Pentateuch, okay? If you haven't heard these words, you can look them up. But Torah and Pentateuch, these are the first five books of the Old Testament that we believe that Moses wrote. The best way that I can describe the Torah is, is by saying um, it was viewed as being God's instruction for life. Or, or maybe another way I could say this is that the Torah for the Jewish people and those first Christians, because who were the first Christians? They were Jewish people that were buying into who Jesus was as the Messiah. The Torah was God instructing them about the path. Get this word, the path to God and the life that he has for them. The Torah, those first five books believed is this is the path to God and the life he has for them. It allowed people to understand the boundaries. It, it allowed people to see the guardrails for our life. This was so important to them. We have to know what the margins are, the boundaries are, the guardrails are. This was so important that the young Jewish boys, young Jewish children, they would learn or they would read, they would learn, and they would begin to see how do I live this out. It gave them a path for living, and so you did have to 
Um, scripture talks about um, parents um, may, may always be on your lips in your home so that your kids can hear this, and this gives you the path for living. This is how it was thought about. Now, Jesus enters the story. Okay, Jesus enters the story, and he tells people, I didn't come to get rid of this, including the laws that would come after. I didn't come to get rid of this. I came to complete it. I came to interpret it. I came to bring its fullness. And this is what Jesus did. When he taught, when he preached, he was bringing interpretation. He was bringing interpretation and, 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 and understanding and completion about what God had for them. Now, the great thing about God is that once this path, this understanding was known, a choice was given. The great thing about God is his word is, was there, but once people knew it, they had the freedom to choose. Would they want to stay on this path or would they want to go another direction? And this is an important thing to understand. Hear me on this. This is what our world around us gets confused about. We don't get to decide what the path is. The decision that's in our hands is are we going to walk the path that God has given us? You know what I'm saying here? In our culture around us, we have almost a, a belief, it becomes a self-centered belief, that I get to choose the direction, the path, the boundaries, and then we expect God to then bless or to be okay with how we live. Just look around at our culture that you can't tell me what is right and what's wrong, what, what, is, what I should believe and not believe. We believe we get to set the boundaries, and God should be okay with that. But from the very beginning... This was not the decision that was in people's hands. We don't get to choose it. We get to choose do we want to follow it or not. This is where the world gets it confused. Jesus kind of tells people in, in the gospel his version of it, and, and you can see the analogy how, how Jesus went about it. In Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So again, I, I'm setting the groundwork for today. Jesus has declared there is a path, there is a road, there is a way to go, we get to choose which path we take, but we don't get to choose the path. But here's the dilemma. If this is true, but from the very beginning, God says, here it is. You can walk it. From the very beginning, people have had it in their hands. You have it in your hands, access to it all the time. His word to us. The dilemma the problem with this scenario is for many of us, we want to do what's right. 
The dilemma is we want to make the right decisions in life. I believe our intentions, especially like if, you've, if you're part of One Hope and this is your thing and you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, I want to do what's right. But couldn't I say with absolute truth that everyone, every single person gets off the path that's out, mapped out for us. That for every single person, we do make decisions that gets us outside the boundaries that God has given for us for life. We go outside of what life is supposed to look like. Now, just to be clear, and this is a serious moment right here, just to be clear, when I say we go outside of what God has for us, I'm not saying, oh, I made a mistake. I'm not saying, oh, like, um, I'm not saying, oh, I, I, I had a bad moment. When we go outside the boundaries God has for us, this is called sin. I said this will be equal parts simple and equal parts serious. When we go outside the boundaries of what God has called us to, this is called sin. And I need to make this very clear today. Because if this isn't clear, then anything else I'm going to say isn't going to matter even a little bit. We have to agree on this statement or everything else I'm going to say doesn't have impact. It's not going to matter for our life. That when we go outside the boundaries that God has given us, this is called sin. You know what John says about this? Writer John says in 1 John 1, 8, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So hear me, the question for today, the question I want us to take home with us when I'm done today, is not, will I get off the path? Will I go outside the boundaries of what God has told me, given me? The question is, what do we do when we get off the path that God's laid out for us? What is our reaction? What is our action? What do we do when we get outside the path? And this is where the good part happens, okay? If you can go with me on what I've just said, the concept, the groundwork I'm laying down there, then the question is, what do we do when we get off the path? And this is the good part, because Jesus knew we see all through the Gospels that Jesus knew this was going to be a battle for you. It's going to be a battle for me. This was going to be a problem. We will get off the path because this is what we do. We'll go outside in moments of what God has for us. So, what God designed, what he instituted through Jesus is a way to get back. He knew it was going to be an issue. You and I are not perfect. There will be sin. So the question is, how do we get back? And it comes down to, if you're a note taker, it comes 
down to two words. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Now let's talk about these two words that you've heard before that carry weight, that I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, that carry weight. But what is confession? Let's start out there. How I would describe confession is agreeing with or admitting to God that I have sinned. Agreeing with or admitting to God that I have sinned. Can I tell you, this is a hurdle for many people. This is a hurdle for many people to get over. This can be hard. Why is it sometimes hard to admit? Why is it hard sometimes to own our sin? And, and, and I've essentially boiled it down to one word. Pride. Why do we struggle with this concept? Now, we could get really a lot more nuanced with this, but I think at the end of the day, many of us want to believe that we are good. Many of us want to believe that we are right. Can I tell you something that you and I both do? I do it every week, I feel like. We love to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We love to tell ourselves, well, there's a reason I had to do this. We try to make sense of how we live. We actually lie to ourselves that we didn't have any other choice or it's not that big of a deal. Confession, which is a way back, the beginning of the way back to where God wants us to be on the path of following him. It's hard because we have pride. But I'm going to tell you the first thing. If we want to get back to what God has for us, if we want to get back to what we were wired and created for, we want to get back to this place where we live inside what God has. Because in, 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 in conjunction with this series is when we get outside, that's where the drifting is happening, okay? If we want to get back to that place, the first place to start is confessing. It's swallowing that pride and saying, God, I agree with you. I admit to you, I have sinned. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is repentance. And what is repentance exactly? Um, repentance in Scripture is described in two different ways. I don't know if you've seen this before, so I want to show you. There are two words, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, that's predominantly used for um, uh, repentance. And it, these two words, as you can see them, give a... Uh, a, a picture to us of what repentance looks like. So I'm not going to um, butcher these words, but you can see the first one. The first one's a Hebrew word, and it means to return. The second one is the Greek word, and it means to change one's mind. These are used. You read it in English. If you're reading it in the original Hebrew, you're going to read it in the Greek. You're going to see these words. To return and to change one's mind. Now I'll ask you. What picture 
How do these words give us a picture of what repentance looks like? Because I want to tell you this morning that repentance goes beyond just admitting. Repentance goes beyond just agreeing with God. Because for some of us, maybe that isn't a struggle. You saying, I agree with you, God. I've sinned. I admit, I did it. It goes one step further. Repentance means to have a change in mind and return to God's instruction on how to live. When you put these words together, there's a, there's a concept here where it's, it's our mind understands and it changes how it views this sin and we return to the place that God has called us to, return to His way of living. And for somebody this morning, this may be the most important thing that you've heard in a long time. This concept is something that has needed to be said to you for quite some time. That when we get off the path that God has given us, He has provided a way back that we are not stuck when we get off the path. But it takes not only us confessing and agreeing with the sin, it takes us having a change in mind and returning back. And when we do this, God does what only He can do. God does what He has wanted to do. God does a move in our life. I said, um, for those of you in the room, I said after worship set that one of the things we always hear is about Jesus and loving us. This is also something we hear all the time. But sometimes that message becomes old. But can I tell you what John says about it? I'm going to continue what I read earlier. 1 John 1, 8 through 9. He says, if we claim to be without sin, I read this to you, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I said earlier, Jesus knew you wouldn't be perfect. I said earlier, Jesus knew that I wouldn't be perfect. Jesus knew we would get off this way of life, this road, this path. We go outside the boundaries that God has given us, but he has provided a way back. John says, if you confess, he is faithful. If you confess, you can trust him that he will forgive. And he will make you righteous again. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is where it lands. This needs to be an anchor in your life. Hear me on this. If what I said is true, that we all are going to find ourselves off the road, off the path, sin is going to be, then we need to be anchored to the forgiveness of Jesus through repentance and confession and repentance of sin. Equal parts simple, but very, very serious.
I was having a conversation with a friend this week, at, at breakfast actually. And in this conversation, I realized he really struggles with this idea of forgiveness. And I was in this moment, I'm, I'm talking to him, and I love this guy. But I'm also thinking about us as a church. And I'm seeing in him almost an unworthiness to receive forgiveness. He didn't struggle with pride. Actually, he's very open, very honest with his struggles. But there was something in him that struggled to receive the forgiveness of God. And, and I, as I listened to him, I began to think about us and wondering, is there anybody else that struggles with this idea of forgiveness? That maybe you grew up in the church and you've heard messages like this, but it also brings a weight on you. Because you're like, I know the things I should do, but I don't do them. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I know I shouldn't do this, and I struggle. And in this, I don't know why that God would forgive me. I don't deserve this forgiveness. Maybe you've had patterns of your life of going outside the boundaries outside the road, outside this path, and you're like, I've done it again. I, I can't keep going back to God for forgiveness. Well, what I said to him, I said, listen, man, I think sometimes we struggle with receiving the forgiveness of Jesus because we have forgotten or don't understand the character of God. We forget who God is and why he calls us to confession and repentance. So I said to him, hey, can I tell you, remind you of a story in Revelation. We went to the book of Revelation, which is written by John. John was on an island of Patmos, and, and I've told you this before, that God says, hey, write down what I show you. Well, there's a moment in, in, in Revelation chapter 3 where John is writing to a church in an ancient city called Laodicea. And, and you, you probably know this, because you probably heard the part where it says, um, church, you're neither hot nor cold, so I spit you out of my mouth. Have you ever heard that part? What God is doing in this moment is he's, he's correcting them. He's calling them out. But listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. And maybe he needs to say this to you. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Because here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Leave that up there. Will you leave that scripture up there? As I prepared this week for this message, there's some things that made this a struggle for me. Because I believe this, I don't think I'm bringing something like impressively new to you this morning. 
I think this is talked about a lot in the church. But as I thought about this and the culture in the way this conversation has happened has actually done some damage and actually potentially have closed people off to this idea, this truth from Scripture. Because maybe in your upbringing, maybe when this idea was brought, it was brought to you as you are a bad person, so you need to confess and repent. It may have been said to you, you, if you don't do this, you are going to hell, so you need to confess and you need to repent. It may have been said to you, God is angry at you, God gets mad when we get outside of what he designs for us, so you better repent, you better confess, because God is angry and what happens is it creates this dynamic of potential fear and not the good fear but the bad fear it potentially gives you a view of god that is outside the character that i see in revelation chapter 3 he says those whom i love i rebuke and discipline so be earnest be quick i want you to repent because I want to be at your house, I want to knock at your door, and I want to let you in. The heart and character of God is. He loves us and wants to be in a relationship with us. Why do we confess? Why do we repent? It's because he loves us and wants a relationship with us. These words are important in this scripture. That sin hurts relationships In any relationships in life Sin hurts the relationship And it brings a distance To that relationship But Jesus And these are important words Jesus wants to come and be with us And have a meal with us When people read that in a culture that was very hospitable Relational They spent time together It was very community oriented He's saying to them I want to be part of your life So be quick to repent because I'm right there going I want to be with you and I want to push back against the God's angry at you you better repent I want to push back against the idea that you do it because I, I don't want to go to hell because so, so I better repent uh, that, that I'm just a terrible person and God I hope that you'll see me as not so terrible no God says I rebuke I discipline I bring correction I point these things out for the people that I love because I want to be in a relationship with you. You don't need to live in a fear of God. Will you forgive me or not? John already told us he's faithful. You can trust him. He will forgive you. But let me tell you one hope. If forgiveness through confession and repentance is not an anchor in our life we will drift and we will drift and we'll drift and we'll find ourselves out of relationship with God and he is standing there going I want to be in relationship with you but this sin's bringing distance to us but you don't have to be in fear that I'm going to be mad or be angry at you I'm the one that's here at the door 
You don't even have to come find me. I'm at the door. I'm waiting. I want to come in. I want relationship. So I sit at this breakfast with my friend. And I see a tear come to his eye. Because he's like, Scott, I've got to change my view of who God is and the forgiveness he wants to bring to me. And so church, today I bring to you your fourth anchor. I bring the fourth anchor, which is simply forgiveness through confession and repentance. And this is why we do communion today. We need to do communion because we need to remind ourselves of the love of Jesus that he gave us on the cross when he says, I love you so much that I'll die so that you can have life again. Hear me. Jesus is not angry at you. He gave his life so you could have life. He rises again three days later to show that there's nothing that can hold him in place. There's victory that is found in him. And an anchor in your life needs to be as you get off the path, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we go, I know where forgiveness is found. Jesus has already died. Jesus already has risen again. Jesus has already promised you, I will forgive. So he's at this last meal, and we talked about it last week. He's at this last meal with his disciples, and he tells them, hey, when you meet together, remember this. And I think you need to remember this, because I think there's an enemy pushing back against us that tries to hold us back from having confession, having a repentant heart and mind, because he wants there to be distant. He wants there to be distance between you and God, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so today, we're going to finish in worship. And as always, I'm going to let you take communion how you want to take it. The altars are up here. Your seat can be an altar, but I would like you to... Spend some moments and say, God, is there any distance between us? Just be real about this. John said, if you don't think there's sin in your life, then you're not living in truth. Is there anything that is keeping distance? And may you be a person that says, I'm not afraid to confess. I'm not afraid to repent. Because I've got a God that just wants to receive and sit at a table and spend time with me, to break bread with me because he loves me. And so God, today as we finish worshiping you, God, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would point out an area in our life that we maybe are blind to where it's keeping distance and, and we would become passionate about oh God I agree with you, admit it forgive me I repent I, I want to have a change of mind and return back to you so God will you shape me today shape my mind in this so I can walk in that forgiveness.
God, I pray is this is a central theme for the church. That it wouldn't be a message that we've just heard, but a message that we need to keep hearing because it anchors us in life. Because this is who you are. So God, we give ourselves today to you and say, speak to us the way you want. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.